what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. My name is Chris. Hi, Chris. Hello. How are Faithful you? Faithful co-host. I'm doing well. Doing yeah. Well. Yeah, we're here to go through our episode. We're here on Foot Candle Films. We talk about movies, as you probably have uh, surmised from our title, our opening <laughs> jingle, everything else. Right. But here's what the typical format of the show is, is that we will go through and have some reviews of movies that have either just come out recently or we've had a chance to catch up with. We go into some movie news following the reviews, and we always end up the show with our recommendations, a movie that one each for each of us that we can recommend you check out. Maybe something that you've forgotten about over time, maybe something that slipped under the radar, something you can check out online and, and watch, uh, hopefully at your leisure based on our recommendation. So today's episode, Chris, we do have two films that we're going to be reviewing. We have, uh, again, we, we seem to pair these films up where we have very interesting dichotomies of films. So on one end, we've got a big budget superhero movie, the latest from the Marvel cinematic universe, Dr. Strange starring Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch. And then on the other end, the batch, the batch, as we like to call them (laughs) on the other end of the scale, we have a documentary called Gleason about the uh, former pro football player, um, Scott, Steve Gleason, who was diagnosed with ALS and some of the process of going through that disease and, and working with that disease in his life. So two films we'll be discussing and reviewing, and then we'll be hitting a couple of movie news items and then our recommendations at the end of the show. Sounds like a plan? Yes. Let's do it. Let's get started. So right into our first review, which is Marvel's latest superhero movie blockbuster film. It's called Doctor Strange. What if I told you the reality you know is one of many? This doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Through the mystic arts, we harness energy and shape reality. We travel great distances in an instant. How do I get from here to there? How did you become a doctor? Study and practice years of it. Chris, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is up to, gosh, maybe 14 or 15 films now. I'm not quite sure. I I lost count a long time ago. Quite a number of films now. (laughs) And they're to the point now where they have started dipping into what we in the comic book world may may call your B-level characters. (laughs) What, you're saying Ant-Man was B? (laughs) Ant-Man was B. Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy were B characters. Actually, the funny thing was Guardians of the Galaxy were probably actually C-level characters, Mm. which is what made that film, I think, so much cooler as they brought these obscure characters up to the forefront. Doctor Strange is kind of in the middle. It's not your Captain America. It's not your Spider-Man. But it's not your Guardians of the Galaxy either. I mean, it's a character that's been around for a long time. He has been in the Marvel Universe since the 60s. Uh, been a pretty prominent character in a lot of the uh, comic book world, the graphic novels, and so on. So, as Marvel is wont to do these days, 
let's turn this character and add them into our big cinematic interconnected universe. So the simple plot line of Dr. Strange is you have a neuro neurosurgeon, very famous neurosurgeon. Obviously, his hands are uh, the his weapon for his career. He is in an accident that uh, mightily impairs him from being able to continue his profession, damaging his hands extremely. So he turns to the uh, the mystic arts as a way of healing and also something to kind of bring something out of him where he's able to harness these mystic arts and basically becomes a superhero in a way and fighting off a uh, another evil, I guess a, a, a mystic that has turned evil and preventing him from getting some something he's after. So, <laughs> something he's something after. Something that the bad guy wants. And the good guy is going to help stop him from getting said bad item. So, Chris, a couple questions for you. Yes. Benedict Cumberbatch, I thought, was an interesting addition to the Marvel superhero universe. Because he is an actor who's been in some pretty good things. Mm -hmm. And he's got a high caliber acting style. And uh, he's not someone who's been trolling in a lot of junk films. So, this is a pretty, right now, a pretty hot upscale actor sure yeah i mean imitation game up yeah. for oscars and yeah so you've sure. got him and then the other selling point of this film that they're trying to marketing on is the visuals it is a very kind of trippy you're digging into mysticism and kind of weird visuals and psychedelic in a way you're in a whole different dimension at times and things are buildings are folding and turning over and all that so so this film's kind of gotten uh, to me that's the two things that marvel's really been trying to play up Right. It's a really trippy, cool visual film. And you've got Benedict Cumberbatch. So let's sell it <laughs> off of those two things. Okay. So I want to ask you, on both of those two aspects, how did the film do? Benedict Cumberbatch, lead actor as a superhero, and the visuals. Were they impressive? Did they stack up? Did they set this film apart in any way? You can choose which of those two things you'd like to talk about first. Okay. Uh, I'll do the batch first. Okay. Yeah. I, um. I thought he fit right into the role of Doctor Strange. Okay. Um, I guess it helps that I'm also familiar with him from the whole Sherlock franchise, the TV series. The BBC version. BBC version, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, um, Not the Robert Downey Jr. Correct. Film franchise. Um, although Robert Downey Jr. brings an interesting point of comparison that we'll get to. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, somebody who plays kind of super hyper-intelligent person who's also aloof. That's kind of the role he does in Sherlock. And that's kind of what he does here mm -hmm. with um, Stephen Strange. However, um, something that I appreciated this that I did not expect was the amount of humor that was in the script. Okay. Um, sometimes he's strange is kind of deprecating about himself or makes, you know, jokes just in general about the situation that I was not expecting. I thought it'd be a lot more serious. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like that. The humor actually was an unexpected touch of the movie. And I thought he carried it off very well. You know, it didn't seem forced or yeah. didn't come across as like the uh, one-liners from an action movie too much like Arnold Schwarzenegger would get. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that. To touch on the other thing that you mentioned, the yes. visuals. And, you know, you've seen the previews probably at this point. Very Inception-like yeah. with like buildings folding and things. Yeah, that seemed to be kind of the big, the big deal. Which, the, the whole buildings you know, folding over cities kind of right going into a kaleidoscope mode and kaleidoscope mode yeah i liked i liked it to a point mm -hmm. um but then i got a little lost and maybe that's 
the point of the whole thing is you get a little dazed and it is too mm-hmm. psychedelic and you can't keep track of where, what's where. When it was used in small doses, like a floor expanding and going crazy and a character kind of gets freaked out. Cool. Mm-hmm. There's an action sequence at the beginning where you see the main bad guy and a cloaked figure who ends up being um, Tilda Swinton. As the ancient one. Yes. Worst name or character name ever. <laughs> um, but anyways. The ancient one. The ancient one. You have to say uh, the the, the ancient one. She has a brief battle scene with them, and that one works as well. Yeah. It was what cool. doesn't work for me, which there again, you know, you have all these set pieces that the, and for the most part they worked, but there was one that's an extended scene that is the cityscapes. And at mm. some point I just grew tired of it and I thought it was mm. extended and it got kind of boring. And that was kind of the midpoint of the film. Yeah. But you know, what do you leave the theater with the very last concluding action sequence I, I I really liked and mm. thought was done really well. Okay. And unlike the one that I felt very disorienting, which maybe that's the point of it, because Strange at this point, it's his first multiverse battle that's in this big, huge city, and he gets disoriented. So, mm-hmm. okay, maybe that's the point, but I just, it went on so long, I got irritated. The one at the very end, I could keep track of where everybody was. Um, it was ex- effective because... Some things were going forward in time while others were being rewound. Mm-hmm. And to keep all that believable, I guess, even though this is a fiction movie, I, I thought it was pretty impressive. Okay. Um, you, know, you talked about the A-level characters, B-level, mm-hmm. C-level. I actually knew who Doctor Strange was just because I had one comic book of Doctor mm-hmm. Strange when I was a kid. Okay. When I heard they were making a movie out of this, I was like, I really can't believe they're doing this. I just don't. I don't th- see how they're going to get enough out of it. So my expectations for this were low. And I liked you it. You came out liking it? I liked it a lot okay. better than I thought I would. Good. I will say um, some of the buzz, I guess, warning to uh, viewers who have not seen this yet. You would think, and a lot of the hype is, oh, see it in 3D. And I would think that too. So I saw it in 3D, and I didn't really think it added that much. And uh, discussions that you and I have had off mic, I think it is because it was post done. That's my guess. I mean, I just don't think it was shot. It wasn't shot in in 3D. It was to be done in post, which uh, of all the 3D movies I've seen, which is not that many because I typically stay away from 3D. As do I. um, This one, knowing it was a post 3D production job, was one of the better post 3D production jobs I've seen. It's no Avatar. It's no... um, Gravity. Gravity, the ones that were shot for right. 3D that really give you that sense. And so I, get, I think yeah. I went in thinking and paid the $10.25. Yeah. <laughs> went in thinking that it was going to be one of those that was shot that way, and it wasn't. And the 3D that was there done post-wise wasn't bad, but it just didn't really... It didn't add a lot to the movie where if the dimensions... The folding dimensions had been shot that way, and you could then I think it would have been crazy cool. Yeah, but you know, okay. So you liked the movie overall? I did like it. I did. I do have some comparisons or some things that maybe I didn't like as much. How? Well, but before I get to those, how Mm -hmm. was your overall take Um, on the movie? I had I had a fine time with it. (laughs) I had a fine. Uh, I'm just getting to a certain point. and this is hard for me to say because I am, I am a Marvel superhero guy. I like the Marvel movies. I think they're fun. Hmm. You mentioned the humor, and that yeah. is one thing I enjoy about almost every single one of their films is there's always some nice humanity touch of humor to the film, unlike what I thought 
I feel like the DC movies have been, which have been dark and when serious. humor is put in, it's almost forced in there. Everything else is very dark and oppressing. Right. So I like the lighter touch that Marvel's done. And I really like Benedict Cumberbatch okay. in the character. I thought the character was played extremely well, written very well. I mean, I, I bought his character. It's just the movie as a whole. I, I, it's just it's getting into a routine now for me. And I think you were here with the previous previous superhero films. But I've realized what it is. I love the first half of almost all the Marvel movies. Hmm. When we're getting to know the characters and we're understanding the You like the, the origin stories. Not even necessarily just origins, but just give me a story that progresses the character along. Then once it's hit that point where we know the character, then it turns into action sequences or fight scenes or whatever and... And a lot of times CGI and other things for the last third of the movie. Sure. And I feel like those are always the weakest part of these Marvel films. Even the ones I love, like the first Captain America movie. I love that movie, but I love the first two thirds of it because it's the World War II, uh, II setting. Right. It's, the, it's him kind of growing and developing as a character. Then when it turns into a big fight just on a big spaceship or, you know, with a big giant glowing cube, I'm like, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> And almost every one of these Marvel films, that's kind of where I am. When you give me the last third, I'm like, I don't really care. Hmm. I like the first half. I love the characterization, but then they kind of forget characterization and just go for spectacle and fights and all that. So this film, although I will admit the ending scenes and fights and all that were different enough that it did. I didn't walk away saying, oh, here we go again. Same formula. It was different enough. But it's still just that I, I still like the first half of this movie better than I did the second half of the movie. And uh, it's kind of a middle of the ground, middle of the road film for me in the whole superhero universe thing. You know, it's like I liked it. Didn't love it. I felt the the villains are just weak in these movies. Well, you know, and I yes. thought the villains are weak and some of the supporting characters that they put a lot of big names behind really don't do a lot. Well, let's 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 get into that. Okay, okay. so yeah, a vil- the villain in this one would be Ma- Mads Mikkelsen. Great actor. I really like. Yep, great actor. He played uh, um, the fact that I can't even say his name. Caselis or Caselis something tells like you who just knows. how impactful he was. Well, the all the names here. are done. Chuita Ejiofor plays Mordo. That's dumb. That sounds like a name no, like a no, kindergarten. No, 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 no. It sounds Mordo, like a name no. a kindergartner no, would no, come no, up no, with. Mordo, no, 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 no. Mordo is important. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not important. I'm no, no, saying I'm it's saying a dumb the, name, uh, dumb character name. It's a nice '60s old '60s Mordo. comic oh, name. Mordo is the name of the character actually in the comics. Okay. I just I feel like a lot of people were wasted here. Yeah, you know, yeah. You do the Tilda Swinton. I was kind of excited to see her portrayal of like this this ancient leader. Why can't we just give her hair? Why know, does she have to wear a bald cap? I don't know, but she she just looks weird. She did, and, and and her parts were fairly short, and I thought they were pretty routine, and they were would be exactly what I would expect somebody to play in that role. And I thought you could be a little, we could have a, that role be a little more daring than it, it came across. Um, I just wanted her to have hair. Yeah. Okay. Chiwetel Ejiofor is Mordo. Yeah, he's basically the sidekick the whole film. Um, yeah. In the comics, he does take a different path, and I think the, there's some credit sequences that allude to that. But yeah, the whole film is just he just kind of was there as a sidekick, and I thought, you know, here's a, a award, a Academy Award nominated uh, actor, and we just I feel like he, they're just putting him through normal paces here. Well, even Rachel McAdams, who I like as an actress, I thought was just very superfluous here to the film. Well, um, I, I was surprised Michael Stuhlbarg, yeah. A, was in this movie 
And then B, he just plays this like doctor that doctor that the, Doctor Strange dumps on and like makes fun he's of in, and like mocks. three scenes or something. And I'm that's like, it. does he turn into anything? He plays Doctor Nicodemus West. Does he turn well, into anything? Is, the name sounds familiar. I need to look it back up. I'm not okay. terribly familiar, but with a name like Nicodemus, Doctor Nicodemus West, sounds I'm sure like something. Got to be something in the comics that he alludes okay. to. How about how about another um, actor, Benjamin Bratt? He plays Jonathan Pangborn. Yeah, does he turn into something too? No, not that I'm okay. aware of. Because both of those actors, I saw, I was like, oh wow, you know that. And then like he, Benjamin Bratt, he's like in two scenes. Oh yeah, I think. Well, yeah, two scenes. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. And again, I. I just. These movies need to really flesh out and make their villains just as interesting as the, the heroes. Right. Um, which I don't feel like they're doing right now. And you stack a lot of good, talented actors, and then you kind of walk away feeling like they just really all had very little to do. I mean, True. it was this was this was the Batch's movie, okay? I mean, he's <laughs> in almost every scene. Yeah. He's the one carrying it. So I would have preferred not getting the big-name actors in there for these like more more supporting roles. Give me some people I'm not familiar with. Let Benedict kind of steer the show, but then give me some new acting blood in there. Make it a little more interesting to watch. Um, I'll say, too, with this movie, you know, having read the comic book, his outfit, his getup is kind of goofy looking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, he's like wearing this blue kind of random tunic and this big amulet that looks like he's about to go to a disco. Mm -hmm. And he has this huge flowing red cloak on. Just looks kind of dumb. And when I saw the posters for this movie, I'm like, oh, they're keeping him in the same costume. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting. But, you know, within the confines of this movie and he goes to like, you know, Tibet or wherever it is to learn these mystic arts to help him try to heal himself or Kathmandu or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where some of the blue tunics and robes yeah. and all that stuff comes from. So you're like, OK. And then he gets the amulet from like a temple type place. And you're mm-hmm. like, all right. And then how the cloak actually comes in, mm-hmm. you know. With comic book logic, it actually kind of worked and didn't yeah. bother me that that was his get up. I sure. thought it would because I didn't think I'd buy it, but I, I did. No, yeah. I thought I thought the whole get up and everything was very faithful to yeah. the comics, but it also worked in that in this situation of this story as well. Um, yeah, it was a it was a fine movie. It was a good movie. It's just I kind of getting the been there done that feel when you get halfway or two thirds of the way through these movies. And of course, you know, there's all the setup, uh, you know, leading in other movies and all that. I was impressed that this film had very little of that head nodding to other movies. It had very little of it. Very little. It did have two credit sequences that kind of wove into some of the bigger stories a little bit, but, or, or led on to where the next stories are going to be. But overall, during the course of the main film, yeah, there was the passing Avengers mention skyline. You see the Avengers building right. in the background. That's about it. Which that's, I don't, you know, I don't mind that. No, I mean, you know, I it makes you feel like they're all in the same world and that's not the way it's supposed to be. So right. I thought it was a fine movie. It sounds like you liked it better than I did. Probably because you went in with even lower expectations. Really low expectations. Yeah. Um, it was fine. It's just there again. I, well, I, I want something. I really want something different. I'm kind of feeling like I did about, remember when we had the whole conversation about Wes Anderson years ago? Yeah. I think we had just seen, Grand Buda or not Grand Budapest Hotel um, Moonrise Kingdom Darling uh, the Darling Darjeeling Limited and then Moonrise Kingdom and I was at that point I was like I just want him to do something different I want him to surprise me now granted he did Grand Budapest Hotel which I really like so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of glad he didn't change up yet he did Fantastic Mr. Fox that's kind yeah that's true but there's still they're all still you know the same the same sentimentality the same style the same personality to him 
I kind of want Marvel to really say, you know what? We've had a run of like at least a dozen really popular films. Mm-hmm. We've made a bajillion dollars. <laughs> let's do something really different. And I think they were trying with this one. It's like, let's make this really weird, trippy film with a lot of interesting visuals. That's not something we've done in a lot of our films before. But I felt like they could have just got a little more. They could have made yeah. a little more interesting or daring. It'll be, in, it so it'll be interesting, which, of course, they do set up that there could be a sequel to this movie. Oh, there will be. And there's been money made. Yeah, made tons of money. I would be interested to see what a sequel would be like when you're not explaining stuff anymore. You don't have an origin story to lean on. And you're just developing, like, what is going to be the story? Because in a way, I don't see how he would blend in with, like, the Avengers or anything like that. Because I guess he may at some point be in the Avengers uh, world. Mm-hmm. But like he's so all-powerful. It's kind of like a Thor problem. You know, it's like they're so all-powerful. Couldn't they just go into another dimension and like fix everything and come back? Like mm. you know, it's like they're almost – they need to never interfere with the other heroes because the other heroes wouldn't have anything to do because he well, would just when like you fix get, everything. I think when, when you get all the Avengers and all these other characters together, I think the next Avengers movie is supposed to be the very big – Galaxy wide, oh, I see. Big deal with the whole Thanos, who the big purple guy that they've been teasing <laughs> for like a couple of years now. The big, I think that's guy. when you got to bring in every character and let them just go nuts, you know, and just which sounds like a horrendous mess. It sounds like it, but you know, I, as much as I enjoyed Civil War, it's the same guys doing Civil War that are doing it. I'm like, you know what? They did a really good job with managing a whole lot of characters having a big fight, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it so. Doctor Strange, I think, is good. Uh, it's Scott Derrickson, who's the director, who uh, has been known mainly as a hard director. Hmm. I guess maybe that's part of my slight disappointment, is I thought maybe there would be more, I don't know, more edgier, edgier, even not necessarily horror, but just something more, hmm. uh, I don't know, just a little more a little more uh, pushing the buttons a bit. Okay. You know, he made the film Sinister, The Exorcism of Ex- Emily Rose, Deliver Us From Evil. I've seen none of those films. Hmm. Um but supposedly people say they're, they're good horror films and he's a good horror director. So it would have been cool to have him do something just a little more edgy with the film. But, you know. I, can, I will say, so, yeah, I think you and I actually probably liked it the same. I'm just kind of surprised that I liked it as much as yeah. I did. Um, I will say another kind of dislike of the film was the path that, Mo, was it Modo? Mordo. Yes. <laughs> Mordo. Mordo. The path that Mordo takes, his character like takes, and kind of the changes he goes through, to me seemed kind of abrupt. Um, well, you're talking about from main film to post credit scene. Well, even even within the film itself, it's like he becomes well, dissatisfied. Like I don't know, I felt that was a bit rushed and not very yeah. well developed. No, but. it's true. I mean, it, it's you have to buy that he has some level, growing level of dissatisfaction with the way the the uh, these sorcerers are being handled and trained and right. um yeah i think that still comes back to just my concern about the supporting cast i just don't feel like supporting cast i don't feel like marvel gets supporting cast hmm. very well i also don't feel like they get villains very well the one example i can think of of a good supporting cast character that i think just made a movie better was michael pena and uh ant-man okay because he added something to the film, and they really had fun with his character. Other supporting characters, I'm just trying to think. I mean, because really, you consider every hero as like a main character. So then who's our good supporting characters in this universe? Who are the people? Hmm. Loki is the only interesting villain I think they've had just oh, about the entire movie series. You know, 
let's we're going to digress just a little bit. Okay. And I agree with where you're going with this. And what is an interesting comparison is DC, God bless him, can't seem to once Christopher Nolan is not doing Batman anymore, you know, and hasn't been for a while, they don't seem to be able to make a good movie. Yes. You know, we had this year, we've had Batman versus Superman. We had Suicide Squad, and they can't seem to get their act together. Right. Um, but I will say, with the exception of Suicide Squad, which doesn't make sense, but in the Superman movie before Man of Steel and then Batman versus Superman, the one thing they seem, they seem to be able to do is get villains together. Like you had Zod, and I really like Zod, Michael Shannon, and Man of Steel. Batman versus Superman, I really liked Lex Luthor, yeah. even though he was different and weren't what was it people were expecting. But like they don't seem to be able to get like the hero part down, whereas Marvel can get Doctor Strange they down, got the main character, but they can't get downtown. the villain. But yeah. the, what's what's strange though, though, is that DC's had big attempts and they have these big properties that they can't seem to make work. Mm -hmm. And yet Marvel's able to get Dr. Strange <laughs> to work. Well, because they so know just, people are going to go to the movies for the main character. Yeah, that's true. That's it. It's the Robert Downey Jr. It's the Benedict Cumberbatch. It's the Chris Pratt. You mm -hmm. know, it's like get them to the movies because of the big star power as the hero. All right. Who's playing the villain? Eh, I don't know who they okay. are, but let's yeah. just throw them out there. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth with Thor. I mean, I still couldn't tell you who the two villains were for the two Thor movies. Mm. I don't really remember. I know Loki was in the first one. Right. But there was like some other villain, I think, too, in the first Thor movie. I don't remember who that was. Maybe, yeah. Or was it just Loki? It may have just been Loki. Okay, and then the second one was some ice. Yeah. He was the ice or, giant or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I couldn't tell you anything about him. I couldn't tell you his name. I couldn't tell you any redeeming qualities of him. So... It's just, yeah, it's just the villains. The villains are tough for them. I think they, they kind of rest on the idea that as long as they develop a really, really good actor or actress playing a, the big lead hero, and they give that hero a nice character arc in the movie, the movie writes itself. And that's where I feel like maybe it's getting a little lazy. It's like, give me some better supporting actors, and definitely give me some good villains. I think you mentioned Robert Downey Jr. again, so mm. and I kind of made a, a side about yeah. A, a weakness, yeah. And that, I guess it's in the source material. And if it's in the source material, I guess by remaining really faithful it. to it, you unfortunately... Well, to me, you, I could see the knock that Stephen Strange is nothing but a medical version of Tony Stark. True. And maybe that's source material. You know, both of them are rich, both of them are handsome, both of them have this lifestyle, and then they get knocked down a peg, you know? And I guess that... I guess, to me, I wish they would have been a little bit more different, but I mean, yeah. you know... He, and again, I have not gone back and reread the, he, he premiered in, in July of 1963, okay. um, back really back in the early days of Marvel. Right. I don't remember if from his first appearance, if before he was a sorcerer, he was kind of a, a pompous ego driven guy okay. or not. I kind of think he was, because I think the story is that he was humbled with his accident and humbled by his new role in life. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of, I mean, if they're being close to the, the source material, I'm fine with that. Hmm. I think in a way, I think they're grooming this character to be kind of their hub going forward because I think they know they don't have Robert Downey Jr. for a whole lot longer. I think he may be in the next like pair of Avengers movies that are shooting at the same time. And I think that may be it for him. Cause I thought he was actually done 
Well, he said he wouldn't do any more standalone Iron Man movies. Right. So he, the only movies he's doing are the Avengers movies. That's right. So I think he's got they've got the number three and four that are supposed to be like kind of like a part one, part two. I think he's in those, and I got a feeling that will probably be it for his character, for him playing that character. Right. They'll either have somebody else take on the mantle of Iron Man or do something else. So I think they kind of need their smarmy, smart alecky Rich guy. boy. Although, right. you know, after Doctor Strange becomes Doctor Strange, he's really not as, as much that way. True. It's pre-accident. Where Iron Man, he, he's still cocky all the time, no matter right. what. So That's true. Yeah. I do think they were trying to keep to the character of the comics a little bit more, okay. which I'm, I'm fine with that. Fair enough. Overall, it's a fine film. And, you know, hey, if you, if you like the Marvel movies, yes, this is a Marvel movie. This is a pretty standard hero's journey origin story with a forgettable villain and big fight <laughs> scenes in the last third. Right. It does say Benedict Cumberbatch is good, and I think elevates it a little bit. I think the visuals are interesting, and some of the fight scenes towards the end are unique enough that it just did make it stand out more than than the, the common the common stuff we're we're used to seeing. Agreed. So, uh, so overall, we're both giving it a positive review. Yeah, yours coming from a much greater, lower expectation level than mine. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's a good middle ground Marvel movie. There are many Marvel movies they put out that are worse than this one. X-Men. Well, I guess. Well, they didn't touch those. It's not yet, technically, but yeah. yeah. Iron Man 2, I would say, is in that (laughs) mix. Uh, The Thor movies, I think, are... I I like this one better than the Thor movies. Okay. The first, The Incredible Hulk, long ago with, you know... Sure. There are several movies this one is better than, but it's nowhere near my favorite ones from from this group. Okay. Okay. So that's Doctor Strange. And now let's shift gears a little bit and go and talk about another film. And this is the documentary Gleason. Steve Gleason was responsible for one of the most dramatic moments in New Orleans Saints history. Steve blocking the punt was like the rebirth of something really big. He was just like the superhero athlete, but also super smart. He was just the greatest thing I've ever met. I've been having some strange medical issues going on recently. I have been diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. This disease is almost always fatal. My first reaction was, he's telling me this, but I don't necessarily believe what he's saying. God, if you have some control over this, then save me. I don't want Michelle to be here by herself. Gleason is Clay Tweel's fourth documentary. Mm -hmm. It is about uh, the title person, Stephen Gleason, who is a former professional football player, and he gets diagnosed with ALS and the movie then goes through him learning about the disease. And then as the disease progresses, it follows him as he's going to treatment and his wife um, has a son. Alan, this film was interesting for me because before I went in, I knew that it was Clay Twill's fourth film and I actually went back and you and I have reviewed Finders Keepers, mm-hmm. uh, which is his previous film to this. Mm-hmm. And if you're so interested, you can go back and listen to our podcast where we discuss it. We also had both seen um, Print the Legend, correct, which is a documentary also made. And then I actually went back way, way back and um, watched one that he did on magic called um, Make Believe. Okay. So seeing the three that you have seen, Alan, I'm interested in, you know, by the time you watch two, three films by one specific filmmaker, in this case, Tweel, who's documentarian, what do you feel like is his... Does he have like a signature or a stamp that he brings to his documentaries? If so, what is it? And then do you think it is in Gleason? 
All right. So here's what my take is, is I think, I think this guy as a filmmaker has a very, very, uh, a good knack for allowing a camera to follow very intimately it's, 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 uh, subjects in, it's not the whole fly on the wall thing. Okay. Because I think he's a little more active than just being standing over in a corner and shooting, but he seems to have a really knack for letting his subjects be themselves around the camera and obviously being there to capture that, mm-hmm. which I know, you know, you could say, well, that's what a documentary is. Well, yeah, but sometimes a lot of times in documentaries, you can tell the subject knows they're being filmed right? and they seem very aware of the film, the camera, the, 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 the shots that this guy as a director are capturing inside the Gleason household with the family and some of the, the, the trials and tribulations they go through. Uh, I, I forget most of the time that, oh, yeah, there's a whole nother person or crew inside this room filming this. Well, and that, that to me is I think that's his thing. I felt that with Finders Keepers. Hmm. There are a lot of scenes where we're following uh, the main character, the, the, the guy who found the foot. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're following him. We're listening to him. He and his wife talk. We're listening to him interact with other people. And there's so many times I forget there's a documentary crew following them. This is not just happening like just in, out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And that's, that's impressive that you really forget. It kind of fades in the background. Yeah. He'd rather let the characters be as natural as possible and capture that. And I think he's doing that. Even print the legend, a film I think you liked a lot better than I did. I thought it was fine, but I do remember the big thing about it. I liked is that you really just were right in the thick of it. Like mm-hmm. people are talking, people are making decisions and it's just, his his sense of being in the right place to capture the right things being said or done is pretty uncanny. So that's that's what I'm taking away from him is I feel like he just built such a good relationship with the people he's making the film about mm-hmm. that they just trust him to be there and capture things even if they're most vulnerable. So well, and I would I would agree. Um, and it's interesting for documentaries. You know, sometimes they can get I guess tedious or boring because all they are is talking heads. Yeah. And the way that he was able to do this one that kept it from being that one of the things that um, Steve Gleason is doing is he's doing a video journal for his son, Mm -hmm. where a lot of times he's talking directly to the camera because he knows eventually because of his disease, he will not be able to talk and will Mm -hmm. not be able to talk directly to his son. So using that as kind of an aid in addition to what he's shooting on the side, it just it complicated complemented things and made it so that it kind of, I don't know, it gave you like another window where it wouldn't be as static as an interviewer asking yeah. you a question oh, yeah. and then him giving an answer. This is like free flowing. And actually come to think of it, I think in the movie, he is never interviewed that way. Yeah. Other people are his wife or some of his yeah. relatives are, but all of his stuff comes from him just talking and yep. talking, you know, the video journals to his son or him just having conversations with his wife where they're just capturing that naturally, but he's never interviewed himself. No, you're right. And I, uh, yeah. it just seems to flow. I don't know. He has a way of making documentaries seem more natural. And like you're saying, I think that is kind of his stamp as being a fly on the wall. And I, I think even though I, I don't feel like sometimes with some directors, documentary directors, you feel like they insert themselves mm-hmm. into the documentary yeah. or maybe steer it. And I feel like, Twio does a good job of just kind of stepping back and letting, it seems this way anyway, letting the subjects take the film where it goes. He's a true silent, silent 
actor right. in this film. You take a you think about um, the act of killing, right? Um, and the look of silence. Films mm-hmm. we both really like, right? But the director is involved in those stories. I mean, it's, right. he is an active participant in what he's doing. In staging certain things. Yeah. And, yeah. and people even interacting with him from bef- ahead of behind the camera. Right. Clay Twill, he is as invisible as possible. And again, I forget. I had a hard time blurring between what we were watching that was truly home video footage they shot themselves mm-hmm. and what was stuff that the director of this documentary shot. Agreed. And the fact that it blended so nicely and I had mm-hmm. to remind myself sometimes of what was actually being shot by crew and what was being shot by his wife. That's that's good. That means that it, it worked. It's kind of blended in nicely. So um, I really, really like this film. I, uh, I thought it was an excellent documentary. You know, when you have a documentary that's basically following a character or person that's going through a disease, facing a disease, right? you run a few risks. One, you become way too over-sentimental about it. Sure. And two, it just becomes a giant infomercial about the disease and how to fight it and how to support it. Right. I thought we reviewed the Glenn Campbell documentary last year, the I'll Be Me, which was about Alzheimer's, singer Glenn Campbell facing it. I, I drew a lot of comparisons between the two films. It's like you start, I can with, see that. You start with someone who's famous mm-hmm. and they've kind of been, they're past the peak of their, their fame. Mm-hmm. Now they're kind of settling into a little more of a normal life and then they're hitting with the, hit with the disease and you're watching the spouse and you're watching the family respond to this disease chipping away at this person. And they went through their highs and lows and they have a lot of self-acknowledgement of what the disease is doing to them. And then you get to some ending where you feel like things may be at least on a stable path. And that's that was pretty much the format of this film, too. True. I just think this film did a great job in that it did all those things that a typical medical-based documentary about a person de- uh, dealing with a, a, uh, a dreaded disease. It did all the things it had to do in that. But by adding in the concept of him giving setting up a video blog for his unborn son... Mm-hmm. And all of that footage that they were able to weave in to make it more of this self-narrated documentary, that's what to me really set it apart. And the fact that I think Steve Gleason, the character, the, the, the main subject, is a pretty fascinating guy. Well, and that's that's actually what I got more out of this documentary yeah. than I thought I would. You know, I thought it would just be a study of, you know, this is a horrible disease. Mm-hmm. Look at how these people have coped with it and the, the struggle and how, you know, sad and how difficult it is. And it does show you that. But what I, what I was surprised at is what a fascinating person Gleason is. Yeah. Um, his sense of adventure and I, I don't know, just a lot of the, some of the blog entries that he would do video blog entries that he would do for his son, some of the stuff and his kind of philosophies and how he was open to stuff. You're just like, wow, he's a really fascinating yeah. person. Um, so yeah. And you know, I guess that helped him handle what he was going through better than maybe some Probably other people so. wouldn't have been able to do, but he was able to look at things differently and focus on different things. And yeah, it was just really Interesting. So I, I've him as a person, I had never heard of him before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this documentary comes out and I'm like, Oh, okay. He's a football player and this happened. Okay. And you watch it, but then I'm just surprised at what a, you know, crazy diverse person he was. So, he was and his wife is very interesting oh, too. Yeah, his wife, yeah. is, his wife them, is great. I mean, yeah. I just think she's a, she, she was the most interesting character in the film to me. I was hmm. always wondering, 
how she was feeling because you could just see the emotion. She wore them very clearly on her sleeve. Yeah. She's very open and feeling about how she feels about things. But she also went through the most, I think, emotional turmoil throughout the film. She's a party girl. She's uh, the life of the party. She's always got just fun and adventurous. And then she gets kind of saddled with a new kid and a husband that she's got to care for almost equally. Yeah. All in the same time frame. And her ba- her life just basically turns into just a routine. Yeah. And she even acknowledges much towards the end. It's like, I'm kind of wasting away here. Yeah. And to me, that's just fascinating to hear that honesty. Like, Yeah, this is like wearing me down. And I, I kind of need my own outlets. And I kind of need to get some things cleared up. I need some help, you know. And yeah. uh, it was really impressive. Um, I, uh, I, I love the fact that this film could have just kept playing things so safe. But the fact that they, they included some scenes that I thought were really daring to leave in a documentary like this. This could have been a very safe awareness of ALS documentary. Mm-hmm. But when it got into the notions of faith, I thought were really impressive the way they handled it. Basically, Gleason's father is a very fundamentalist uh, religious belief system. And he's you get the sense he's kind of forcing, trying to force that on his son right. to maybe look at faith as a way to heal him. Or maybe if he prayed a certain way or went to go see, they go to see a supposedly a faith healer at one mm-hmm. point. And it's, it's a pretty raw scenes. The it dialogue is. between he and his dad about their faith and how, how Steve feels like his father may be kind of forcing his faith on him. It's very open and it's very raw and it's very emotional. And it's just, again, Clay Twill, the director, sitting over in the corner, yeah. just letting it roll, capturing just it all. Happen. Yeah. And uh, that's the kind of things that really, to me, set this film apart from it just being a, oh, let's learn about the disease and let's really feel bad about people afflicted and let's figure out where to send money to at the end. Right. The fact that it went into the father-son relationship, it went into the religion, it went into the thinking about your future generation and what you're going to leave behind for them. All that stuff really just to me elevated this film considerably. Yeah. There were, there were moments in this film where, yeah, that's to me, you know, you had mentioned the film, I'll be me. And I like that. And, you yeah. know, you I learned, but this kind of sets itself apart because a, I got to learn a little bit about Gleason who I'd never heard of. Whereas yeah. Glenn Campbell, I knew who he was. So I got, in addition to learning about ALS, I got to learn about Steve Gleason and then there were really impressive, raw documentary, documentary moments. Mm-hmm. There's the one you mentioned about the confrontation about faith with his dad, which he mm-hmm. actually has a couple of those. It's yeah. not just one, but he has that. Then there's um, a discussion that he has with his wife mm-hmm. when he's no longer able to talk. Yeah. And he's using a speech device to do that. And that kind of, and they're like, in, it's at night and they're kind of talking at the end of the day. And he's making comments about what's happened that day. And it's pretty, it's pretty raw. And yeah. to let that just happen and to have it that way, like capturing that is, it's pretty special from a documentary yeah. standpoint. And it's something that even, you know, married couples can relate to, even if one of you, it doesn't have a terminal illness, you know, mm-hmm. you can just relate to the problems in a relationship. So, yeah. Well, and impressive. along with those lines, they didn't shy away from the physicality of the disease as well. I mean, it was, you typically can expect that with a documentary like this, that you're, yes, you're going to see them struggling. You're going to see the, the physical concerns, but I think, I think it's just, I mean, I really, I felt it, you know, and well, I think if you're trying to help somebody get, without saying as trite as saying that 
feel feel what it's like to experience to have ALS. I mean, that's right. never going to happen in a film. Sure. But this put me about as close as I can imagine to understanding what this does to a person's body and what you kind of have to work around when you're a caregiver for somebody in that situation. Well, and I'd so, you know, I said there were three big moments you talked We've talked about two of them, and the third one actually is a moment that does show you a reality of going through, you know, it makes your muscles stop working. And one of the muscles that stops working is like with your bowels, and it has a very explicit kind of graphic scene about him having that problem. And they kind of make a joke out of it, but that's something that's very raw and personal Mm -hmm. that, you know, Gleason was willing to have put on film and document, and the documentarian called it, but it, it kind of... You know, it makes the experience of the documentary feel that much more real and valid. I I think why those scenes in particular were, if I remember the sequencing of the film right, we may have just been coming off of kind of a happier montage. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you have a little montage of like, oh, hey, here's let's play a rock song. Let's see Steve and his kid and they're kind of having some fun and you see the happy moments. And I think it's a way of saying, okay, yeah, there are good moments and here's a little montage of them. However, screech to a halt. This is the daily thing they're dealing with now. And right. give us a scene like that and kind of make us all being a little bit more kind of open mouth shock a little bit. And that's where it's hitting you. Okay, no, this is happening every day in their life and they're having to contend with this. Yeah. So yeah, you got the happy moments. You got the happy music video and people are, you know, there's still love and there's a happiness. But man, the stuff they're having to deal with every single day is just momentous. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's tough. So... um I I really, really admired this film. I thought it was great. I, I liked it better than uh, Finder's Keepers. I liked it Finder better than Print the, Print the Legend. Um, I just was looking up while we were talking. I didn't realize Clay Teal was, Twill was a producer on King of Kong, ah. uh, that documentary. Didn't okay. direct it. I didn't realize that either. So okay. he's definitely becoming a very – I'm going to be very interested in the documentaries he's working on next. Right. Uh, he's got a good track history going right now. I do think this is probably his best film so far of the ones he's made I, that I, I've seen anyway. I would agree. Yeah. I think it's really strong. <sighs> it's very it's a draining film. <laughs> we just <laughs> saw it like an hour ago. So we're if we're a little less giddy than maybe, you know, on our on the show recording than we may be normally, which I don't know if we're ever. Well, I mean, you giddy, know, you definitely but, you watch know. it with Kleenexes. I'm actually surprised that in talking about it. I didn't manage to tear up just because yeah. having just come from a viewing of it. So I'm kind of proud. Yeah. <laughs> I will no. say too, if you happen to be a father, um, right. Probably not to say it won't hit you hit anybody else, but I think if you're a father, especially of a younger kid right now, yeah, it's, it's going to hit you hard. So. Well, and what's it, you know, okay. So you, which, you know, we've already revealed, you know, he does have a son that's, you know, being born and then he gets to walk, you know, so there's that dynamic, but then also the father and son with his dad. Yeah. So you have like the generational oh, yeah. thing going on. So yeah, it's, yeah, there's definitely, if you have a kid, <laughs> then yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna hit you pretty hard. Yeah. I, I can't recommend Gleason highly enough from a documentary standpoint. So definitely worth checking out. It is available online. Uh, it's absolutely worth it. Just kind of steal yourself out for it. Cause it is a tough watch. Um, so that's our reviews. Dr. Strange, we're both positive on, have some concerns, have a few issues, but overall <laughs> we're okay with it. Gleason, we're both sounds like very enthusiastic about it yes. and worth checking out. 
So that's our two reviews for the show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I've got some movie news to share with Chris and get his reactions on. And then we'll wrap up the show with our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan, and I'm pointing to somebody across the table whose name is Chris. Yes. We're here, as always, <laughs> going through our episodes. We already finished our two main reviews, which was Doctor Strange and Gleason, which we uh, both reviewed positively. Gleason, absolutely top marks. Go check it out. So we move into now some movie news. This is where Chris or I will come up with some headlines that have grabbed our attention recently. And we want to bring the headlines on each other and see what our reactions are or just have a good, good casual conversation about the movie topic at hand. Could be about an upcoming movie. Could be about a director's next work. Could be an actor's next work. Who knows? You've got to do all the heavy lifting because I was lazy and didn't That's come okay. up with I've any got, stories at items. all. <laughs> I've got some items. I, I, am, I am always a cornucopia of movie news items. So let me, let me hit you with a few. All right. And it's just, and it is a theme that's developing probably, I mean, since probably we started the show <laughs> talking about the idea of remakes. Oh yeah. Remakes are all, I mean, almost every episode we're going to be talking about some film that's either being remade or has been remade or something. So American werewolf in London. Hmm. Tell me, is this a film you, you, I have heard of it. You never seen I it. I think I have seen it. I've definitely seen the, like, I don't know, you know, the transformation scene, yeah. which was like the big special effects thing yeah. when it first came out. You know, I don't know if I've actually seen the entire movie from start I'm the same to finish. Boat. I've definitely seen boat. that transformation. Oh yeah, scene. I've seen all the the clip reels of big special effects and gory transformations yeah. and all that. And I know the basic idea of the story. You know, you've got uh, your two guys uh, kind of uh, backpacking in Europe, and one gets bit by the wolf and then turns into a werewolf. It, this is it, the, the thing I'm bringing up with this is it's uh, Landis. Um, um, shoot, what is his first name? John Landis? John Landis. Oh, my gosh. It's getting late. <laughs> John Landis directed the film. Right. Uh, John Landis also made a lot of comedies back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Kind of a diverse filmmaker. But there is talks now about they're going to remake American Werewolf in London. Hmm. I'm like, okay. I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm not a huge – I don't have a huge affinity to the original. I haven't – I don't even think I've seen it all the way through. Right. Max Landis, it appears, who is the son right. of John Landis – does appear to be the one that will be uh, writing and directing hmm. this remake. Interesting. And uh, with his father, uh, executive producing. Hmm. They're also bringing in The Walking Dead's Robert Kirkman. Now, I know uh, you and I have never talked about The Walking Dead. I've seen like one episode of that okay. show. So Robert Kirkman is the comic book creator that created The Walking Dead. That's okay. his... His he's thing. been writing it since day one. They're up to like 150 issues now, and he keeps writing it. Okay. And he's the executive producer of the TV show. Gotcha. So they're bringing him in as a producer as well on this film. So hmm. they're they're trying to add some heavy-duty horror gore aficionados to the mix, keeping John Landis in the mix, but now passing the baton to his son. So 
you have any interest in this? Or are you, I mean, since you weren't really that crazy about the original. Did, did, did or they have any the actors assigned to it yet? No, not no. yet. Hmm. You know, it's one of those things that, yeah, I, I'm not really that interested. If I hear it's really good, then maybe I'll see it. But, um, yeah, not that I wasn't that big of a fan of the original. So I, I think I'll probably just, I'll probably pass unless I hear it's amazing. But, so now Max Landis, though, looking at. What are some of the stuff he's done? Because I recognize the name and I. He's done comedies too, hasn't he? Um, well, he has directed a few things, but most of his work has been in the uh, writer side of things. Oh, he wrote okay. um, he wrote the screenplay for Victor Frankenstein. Hmm. Not, wrote, not a shining. <laughs> no, he wrote the, uh, the the film American Ultra. Okay, he did the screenplay for Chronicle. Ah, uh, that's okay. the big thing that kind of got him some attention. Okay, he was. He wrote that and uh, I think was involved in the production of it as well. Okay. So that was kind of the, the big thing he, he's known for. Hasn't really done much beyond that. So other okay. than writing some things and uh, not a whole lot to speak. He's writing there. and directing this remake. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, the people who are fans of the movie I've, I've read online are a little nervous. But hmm. there again, I, I don't think the original was so, oh, we can't ever touch this original. That's like classic. I think you, this is the kind of film you could you could flex with and have some fun with, I think. So it could be all right. So let me ask you about a film that I, I, I'm curious to know if you know anything about it. Because honestly, looking at it and having watched the trailer, it's like, oh, yeah, this has got Chris Fry written all <laughs> freaking over it. Okay. Um, Luke Besson, who is, he did The Professional, yep. Leon, I guess, The Professional. He did The Fifth Element. Are you a fan of The Fifth Element? Maybe I need to give it a rewatch, but no, I really? was not when I saw it. But it also has Chris Tucker in it, doesn't it? It does, but it's Bruce Willis. Bruce but Willis, it, but it's Chris Tucker, you and like Chris Bruce Tucker Bruce is like Kevin Hart before Kevin Hart was Kevin Hart. Oh. I, something about them's like a high school marching band playing in my ear. Wow. I just okay. can't can't take it. Well, Luke Besson has a new science fiction film coming out. Okay, it's called uh, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. It's a long title. It is. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was based on a book. So okay. that's kind of partially what I was asking you about. Hmm. Um, uh, not that I, I mean, I, I haven't read it, but that, you know, there are lots of books I haven't. So I don't know. Well, there are two things about this, this film I'm going to tell you that I think are going to make you be a little more interested in the film. Okay. So it yeah, is a science fiction. I like fiction. science fiction. So yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a given. So that's already kind of set the framework for this, this may be something you enjoy. Um, the star of it is uh, Mr. Dane DeHaan, oh. who you like. Yeah. You have mentioned him before about thinking he's a good up and He was in actor. Chronicle and one of yeah. the Spider-Man films. Yeah. And, yeah. But you've, I've heard you comment how you think he's an interesting actor and maybe but doing something. then he something. was also in the Fantastic Four, wasn't he? Or no? No, that was no, no, not. No. That was Miles Teller was in that. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, Dane DeHaan, I'm trying to remember what else he's been in. He's been in a couple other things. But anyway, he's, he's starring in the film. Okay. Uh, the, the trailer is very, some really cool visuals and it's very spacey. Cool. Um, here's the thing that was interesting. So when you watch the trailer for this, Mm -hmm. there is a Beatles song in the trailer. A Beatles song in a science fiction movie. Yep. Well, even even more interesting than that, Chris, this is going to blow your mind. The use of the song because by the Beatles is in the trailer. Okay. It's the first time that a master recording from the Beatles has ever been featured in a film advertisement. Hmm. I was really surprised by that. As 
as many hundreds and hundreds of trailers that come out well, using popular music. I know they're really they're really tight with the right. rights, and they're very specific about how stuff's used. It just stuff. never dawned on me that no. there's never been a Beatles song used in a film advertisement, like the original recording of a Beatles song. Right. Um, hmm. But this one is the first. And supposedly they just reached out to Paul McCartney and he seems to be a big fan of Luke Besson anyway. Uh, they said, all right, fine, here to use this. this. <laughs> and it really does add something to the trailer. So um, I thought that was cool. Hmm. So, you know, using a, a cool Beatles, Beatles tune, Dane DeHaan, Luke Besson, uh, very, very sci-fi-ish. Do we know when it trailer. comes out? Do they have a release uh, date? Let's see here. It's coming out July 2017. Okay. So... Within a year. Within a year. Yeah. Okay. Um, should be interesting. Anyway, check out the trailer. The trailer's not a spoilery trailer. It's not okay. going to tell you everything that's going on. the type of trailers I like. This is one where if you don't know anything about the film and you want to get a sense of what this film's going to be like, I think this does it for you. So, okay. Cool. So, yeah, it's a couple interesting projects there. And uh, the only other thing I was going to ask you about, I'm asking a lot of questions in this news because I honestly... These are projects I'm not very familiar with, and I'm kind of just curious your take on it. You know anything about Ghost in the Shell? Uh, it's I don't know if it was a comic book first, but I know that it was an anime from like the 80s, late early 90s or something. And I saw the anime, and it was kind of like it's in that kind of the you know the big animes like there was Akira, and then there's Ghost in the Shell, right. and then there's probably another couple that I'm forgetting, but. Those two are like some of the big ones is like Akira and Ghost in the Shell. And I have seen it, but I don't remember a lot about it. See, this is the whole genre I'm just really not first in at all. So I've heard, always heard of Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Always heard it's a really just, you know, great read and very visual and the cartoon style, anime styles, just both the graphic novel version and the cartoon versions are just great. So it was a graphic novel. I first. believe so. Okay. believe so. I'm kind of speaking out of term, but I believe so. Okay. So they are making an, a live action version of this anime film. So okay. Ghost in the Shell will come out in March 2017. Uh, hmm. It's starring Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Which I don't know if that's an issue right now. Uh, <laughs> kind of the 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 uh, using an American or using you know Caucasian in uh, a, a role that was not designed to be a Caucasian. Hmm. Um, are they making the whole thing? Yeah, because originally Ghost in the Shell, like, yeah, it takes place, I, I think, in, I don't remember, but, you know, Japan or, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. I'm so looking at the it was using act- Asian actors. There are a lot of Asian actors in the film, so hmm. they do seem to be keeping in that in that. Well, in then that I could see sense. it could be a problem that they couldn't use somebody. could be, again, that. having not, not being familiar with the anime, I don't know if the lead character was yeah. a different ethnicity than the people. It's been so long, people, I can't so. remember. So it, it, Rupert Sanders is the director. I don't really know anything about Rupert Sanders. I don't either. He did Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh. <laughs> and that's the only film I think I see that he did. Hmm. So throwing a beloved property to kind of an untested director, unknown director, mixing in Scarlett Johansson in the lead, which could be some good box office draw, but also could be causing some 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 concerns as well. Right. I'm curious about the film and they've actually what they did is they did release a trailer hmm. it's only like 14 seconds it's like a oh, little wow. clip from a, a Entertainment Tonight or something oh. so I guess the full trailer will be coming out soon but hmm. I'm curious but again I wish I knew more about the source material to understand kind of what they had to work with here so 
Hmm. So yeah, so those are my three curiosity okay. news items. Just just curious. I'm interested. In sure. Those. So that's all the news I've got to share. Chris, you want to move right into recommendations? Sure. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. So and, is a slacker. Uh, <laughs> I will um I'll let you go first. Okay. I'm going to recommend a film actually from this year. Um, it's Swiss Army Man. <laughs> and you're like, what's that movie? And then all I have to tell uh, you is it's the Farting Corpse the movie. The Farting Corpse movie, yes. <laughs> um, so if that automatically turns you off, then don't watch this. Because yes, Daniel Ratcliffe does play a corpse. And it does fart. <laughs> um, a synopsis that's a little more in-depth than that, I will pull from IMDb. A hopeless man stranded on a deserted island befriends a dead body, and together they go on a surreal journey to get home. So Daniel Radcliffe is the corpse, and then uh, Paul Dano plays Hank. And this film is very funny in parts, but it also hits some emotional notes that you kind of don't expect and can kind of come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're really awesome, and they kind of get it very deep truths in the, in the middle of this ridiculous movie. That's about a guy who uses a corpse to save his life. It's like, what? And you know, they call him Swiss army man because he's able to do like all these random things. Like Mm -hmm. he's able to use his body to kind of as a jet ski at one point and like all this like random, you know, he's able to use his arms to like chop tree branches, like all this random kind of like Michelle Gondry type stuff. Yeah. I was going to say the trailers and the clips I've seen have very much that fantastical yeah. feel to them. With that. And if that's not your bag, then you're probably going to dislike this movie and don't bother watching it. But for me, it kind of hit that weirdness yet had some things that it was saying that were kind of profound about life that I really, I really liked a lot. There's a scene specifically that takes place. Uh, Paul Dano's character, one of the way he copes is he creates like little recreations of things that he remembered back in his other life before he got stranded. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically at the beginning of the movie, before he finds the corpse, he's about to hang himself Hmm. because he's so lonely and he's out on this Island and he, you know, thinks he's going to die or doesn't want to just waste away and starve to death. So he's going to hang himself. And then he sees this corpse and at first he thinks it's alive and then turns out it's not, but yeah, just, Sounds the, really interesting. It is. It is really okay. it is really interesting. And uh one of the scenes that I particularly like is he's trying to teach the corpse about life back on back on the mainland, like back mm. about his life that he left and why life is worth living. Right. And he's teaching this to a corpse. So there are all these all these levels there. But he recreates this bus and they're kind of sitting in this bus and he recreates like things going by the window and like it's it's really complicated but it's like a very michelle gondry type device that he Mm. comes up with to do this bus so that he like i don't know it's really visually creative and i recommend it for people who like michelle gondry type movies and if it sound if you're the least bit interested in it i i say go for it even though it is a farting corpse movie farting um, corpse movie and recommended by chris it has one of the weirdest songs and you can look it up on iTunes and I heard it in the movie. I'm like, I want that song. It's called montage. And it's, they actually have Daniel Ratcliffe and Paul Dano doing some of the, I guess you can call it singing. Maybe you want to call it chanting in the song. And it's like really catchy and gets stuck in your head. Um, so that's one of the reasons I really like the movie is cause I can't get the song that was in the movie <laughs> out of my head. Um, but so I would, you know, I highly, highly recommend Swiss Army Man. If you're in for something a little 
a little different. A little different. So yeah, a little off the beaten path there. So that's that's the recommendation there. Yeah. Um, okay. So mine's going to be very topical. Okay. We are just finished an election. Yes. Presidential election. This about is two true. days ago. So we're kind of in the the uh, you know the shadow of that election day as as we are now and right. uh, kind of thinking about how the whole process, the political process works and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. regardless of how you feel about the, the end result or, and all that. So I, I, I came to mind the film that I think just in a way, there's a lot of interesting similarities between what we saw this year. And that film is election. Oh, um, this okay. is the Alexander Payne film uh, where he wrote the screenplay and directed it's one of the first times we're really introduced to Reese Witherspoon as an actress. Right. Uh, but we also have Matthew Broderick in the lead role. And basically, uh, Reese Witherspoon plays Tracy Flick, who is the – she's always uh, running – always uh, being elected to uh, you know, head of the student body because she pretty much goes unopposed. Right. And she's the teacher's pet. She's the one always brown-nosing the teachers and getting the, the, the work done. Uh, and always being way, way over super aggressive on everything. And, of course, it's pretty much assumed she's going to win again because nobody's opposing her. So Jim McAllister, who is played by Matthew Broderick, is a teacher. And he's like, you know, uh, things ought to be different. There ought to be competition. There ought to be more drama behind this. And plus, he just doesn't really like Tracy. <laughs> There's so that. he actually <laughs> arranges for a popular jock and, and the football player played by uh, Chris Klein right. to uh, Paul Metzler, yeah, to run against her. So now, of course, can I borrow some similarities here? Sure. We have a very, very eager, career-focused politician who spends her entire you know, days thinking about this election and wanting this role to play. Okay, yes. And then you get someone who has no experience who <laughs> maybe decides to run and actually builds up momentum and popularity against her. Okay, yes. Sure, there are some similarities to, to glean sure. from this. But I think the film does a really great job of kind of actually really making us think about this stuff. Because here you have a teacher who is willing to kind of push himself into this thing because he's trying to prove a point. He's also trying to kind of fight back a kind of personality he just thinks is damaging to the school and to society in general. It, it, it keeps the film simple while still hitting on some very bigger themes. You know, it doesn't beat you over the head. Like, Oh, this is a message movie. And we're trying to tell you about bigger picture things. No, you can read all that into it down deep. This is a pretty small, simple film, but I think it's very entertaining. It is funny. And it's also some biting satire as well about, some of the nature of politics, the nature of popularity, the nature of civics. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was a good film. So I like it a lot. And it is one that came to mind after this week and thought, you know, it's, uh, it's one I'm planning on going back to check out pretty soon myself. Okay. So that, those are our recommendations. We have the farting corpse movie, Swiss army man, <laughs> and we have the way too close to home election for this week. That's the two films we think you ought to check out. I know Swiss Army Man is available on iTunes yes, and other places to rent. Mm-hmm. Election, I don't remember if it's on Netflix or not, but I know it's, mm, it's sure. you can find it Amazon, iTunes, other places absolutely sure. as well. So two films we think you ought to check out as you have time. So I believe that is our show for today. Doctor Strange, good. Gleason, great. <laughs> uh, Max Landis is doing American Werewolf in London remake for his father. Uh, we've got Ghost in the Shell coming somehow. 
that we know nothing very little about. This has got a new sci-fi film coming out that has a Beatles song in the, in the trailer. I'm going to have to check out the trailer. Valerian? Is that what the name of that one was? Sure. Yeah, I think that was it. Has a really um, long title. Really long title. Luke Besson. Luke Besson. Just look for that. Uh, and then we had our, nom- our recommendation, Swiss Army Man and Election. So we are Foot Candle Films. We are part of the Foot Candle Film Society, an offshoot of that. Uh, you can learn more about us as a film society at footcandle.org. We will, of course, have our Foot Candle Film Festival coming up in 2017. It will be the last weekend in September. Remind me of the dates, Chris. Uh, 20, 22nd through the 24th. 22nd through the 24th. We've already kind of booked it way in advance, so and we're ready to go for that weekend. If you're interested and you are a filmmaker, because that's who would be interested in, at this point, the film festival, go to foot, footcandlefilmfestival.com, and there's a link there that you can submit your work because we are accepting submissions. So if you're a filmmaker and you're interested in submitting, please do so. And uh, also, Chris, if people like our show, or even if they hate our show and they just have things to say to us, sure. how can they reach out to us? How can they connect with us somehow? Reach out to us by sending an email at info at the mesh.tv and just tell us, you know, address it to like Foot Candle Films. Let us know what you like, don't like a movie that you want us to review or something we got wrong in one of our reviews. You can uh, drop us a line also at um, the mesh.tv. We have all of our past episodes of foot candle films, you can go and, you know, spend, I don't know how long it would take you to go through all our past episodes, but it would take a while. As if well you, as if you end up doing that, write us let and let us, us know. know how long it took you to listen <laughs> right. to all the episodes as well as on the mesh.tv. There's tons of other shows that you can listen to. There's things about business. There's a fantasy football show. So check that out as well. Yeah. A lot of great stuff to check out. So again, it's all free. It's easy to listen to. Uh, even if the word podcast scares you a little bit, don't worry. Just go to the website, themesh.tv, and find something that looks good and find the little play button on there, and you're ready to go. you got something to listen to. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, listeners. Thank it's been you, fun. Everybody, as always, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.